0: Thanks, Craig. Good morning, everybody. How we doing? Good morning. There's a lot more of you than just said stuff. That's fine. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll all get there together. It's cold. It's cold outside. It's too cold. You got to warm up. Um, nothing uh, gets me going uh, along a topic than knowing what kids have to say about it. Um, we asked a couple kids last weekend what their question is about God. Uh, in all of our environments for kids last week, and we gave them sheets of paper, asked them to um, just put forward, what do you think about when you think about God? Because we all have questions, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, we think about God. Is God real? Is God active? Is God good? All of these are very normal questions. Um, so I just want to share with you a couple of things that kids said about God. I won't get through all of these, but is that, is that all right? We got, we got some time? Yeah. Okay. Um, here's the first question. How, how was God Created. That's the first question. How was God created? That's. What do you think, guys? A good question? Yeah. We're not going to analyze every kid's question. They're all good questions. But, like, that's a good question. Uh, and the next one is, um, uh, how old is God? That's a good question, too. Anybody know? Good. So, all right. We're in the right place. Uh, here's another question. This is a great question. Is God the same thing as Jesus? How many of us have ever had that question before? Is God? I've had that question. You've had that question. Is God the same thing as Jesus? I love that. Um, uh, how about this one? Uh, this is kind of deep. Is God everything, anything, and everywhere? I know, you want to go home and cry in your existential pillow right now because you're like, that, is, that was like a fourth grader asked this question. Is God anything, everything, everywhere? Just incredible. Lest you think that our kids here are geniuses and way too deep for you, um, here's the next question. Uh, does God know Taylor Swift? What does God eat? <laughs> Someone said souls, and that's not true. <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> I, I, I love that. We were kicking this around. I left this, this Taylor Swift one on my desk this week, and everybody who came in and out of my office looked at it and said, does God know Taylor Swift? And I loved, everyone's like, well, better question is does Taylor Swift know God? Right. That's the better question. <laughs> we we um we've got questions about God. Kids aren't the only ones who have questions about God. Over the past couple of weeks, y- y'all have sent in roughly. Uh, 45, 50 questions of your own from the text line that we set up not too long ago for this series. And I want to say thank you for asking questions, those of you who did. This was not a trick to get your info. It was just a way to give an open dialogue for us to hear, like, what are the questions that we have out there? And I actually spent the past couple of days with uh, Brad Herndon, one of our other lead pastors who's helped me with this project. We, we went through and we categorized all these questions because they often fell along the same lines. And we uh, put them into roughly six categories. Well, six categories specifically, but they roughly fell into these categories. Uh, here's, here's what you asked, Heartland, over the past couple of weeks. Um, here's one. Is God happy or angry? By far and away, this was one of the most popular questions that was asked about God. Is God happy uh, or is God joyful or how do I know if God's happy or how does God express his happiness? But most often than not, we took the negative side of this. Is God vengeful? Is God angry? Is he mean? Is he, is he judging us right now? A lot of us are wondering about, is God happy or angry? How about this one? Um, is God the only God? This is a great question. This is a really good question. Is God the only God? We live in a world where there's so many options. I mean, who are we to say that there's only one right option out of all the options? We got a lot of questions about this. Here, here's another question that started um, showing up. Uh, uh, interestingly, when um, the, the attack on Israel uh, happened, this was a question that flooded us the next week. Uh, is Jesus coming back? Now this is a question that I've had in my own life. I'll tell you a little bit more about this as we go through today's talk, but is a great question. Is Jesus coming back? Like a lot of people have questions about this. A lot of people are curious about what does it even look like? What does it mean? How's that gonna go? Um, how about this one? Is God active? This was asked so many times and as being the guy who actually preached the message uh, on this question and then having like 12 more people ask the question, I felt like I didn't do a good job the first time that I talked about this. There is an archive, I do address that. Uh, is God fair this is another question. When we think about God, is he fair? Can I trust him? This was things like, does God change? Is he unwavering? Is he, is he different today than he was before? Is God fair? Is he consistent? And finally this, is God on my side? Like is God for me? Is God good? Is he, is he, is he want good things for my life? We've got all these questions, all these questions. And here's what I did. I promised you that I would answer all of these questions today. And in the interest of time, because I think at like 3.45 today, there's a Chiefs game. So I don't have that much time today. I, I actually was thinking about like, how do I answer all of these questions? They're all such good questions. They all deserve to have answers. How do I answer these questions? And it reminded me of a story that I um, heard not too long ago about the early days of Amazon.com. Naturally. Um, And here's how the story goes. Back, it was 1996. I don't know if you remember the type of computer you had in 1996 or if you even had internet in 1996. But there was this startup company called Amazon.com, they were selling books, just books. And there was, at this time, five people in the customer service department, five, just totally randos. Like, like one person was a Rhodes Scholar, another person was someone they just like dragged off the street and he was kind of crazy. And they sat him down, uh, these five people, in front of what's called a, a, a terminal. I don't, uh, this is like technical language. I don't really know what it is. All I know is that to get your work done, you didn't have like pictures and a mouse and you click, you would like type on the black screen with the green text. You all are looking at me like you've done this before. I think I'm, I, I just Googled that to figure out what that was but they would sit down at terminals and you had to have like some special knowledge to be able to actually access your email and respond to people. And there was five people who were handling the entire customer service for amazon.com. The sixth person in 1996 was this woman named Colleen. She was hired to whip this department into shape. She was there for approximately 20 days before Jeff Bezos did his first national interview. It was at the publication, the Wall Street Journal. They did this whole thing on Amazon.com and this disruption coming to the book industry. And Colleen noticed immediately once that article hit the papers, usage of Amazon.com like quadrupled overnight. But it was all these people who didn't know how to use the internet who were coming to amazon.com and they flooded the customer service line with all of these questions. And these five people were buried under a mountain of questions, stupid questions. Things she said, like, like people would, would email us at Amazon thinking the, the entire internet was connected and they'd have problems with their Hotmail accounts, which if you're still on Hotmail, bless you. <laughs> they'd have, have problems with their Hotmail and they'd say, hey, Hotmail's down, can you help? And they'd have to reply and say, We sell books, that's a different website. One person sent in and said, your website stops at the bottom of my monitor. And they had to explain to the person via email, there's a scroll bar on the right side, it's very narrow, if you click the down arrow. Like this is, these are the problems of 1996, everybody. Like this this is what it was. It became very clear to Colleen that she was going to have to 100X her department to be able to handle all of the questions that were coming in at this moment. And so to her credit, incredible uh, executive, she 100xed her department. She went around to all temp agencies, she got a bunch of temps, and she brought them all in, she gave them all terminals, and she sat them all down. And I don't know if you know this, but for you know people who just finished a career as a barista, coming in to sit at a terminal is not an easy jump to make. And it became obvious to Colleen that this was not gonna work, until she got some serious help. There were too many questions piling up for her. And so she did what anyone in a company would do. She went to her bosses and her bosses says, we are building something totally different. Customer service is the last thing on our plate. You figure it out. Have you ever been there? Like you had a boss totally dismiss you and like, you're like, oh, now what do I do? With her grit and tenacity, she actually said, well, what, what I need is something more than just more people to answer questions, because now I have people with questions trying to answer people's questions, it's very confusing. It's very terrible. So she went to the local college, found the PhD dropouts, hired them put them in the corner of the room, gave them coding books. And these six guys were told, just read all you can about coding and then find us an automated solution to help us with our problems. And by golly, wouldn't you know within two months, Within two months, this little half a dozen, uh, these, these guys that had dropped out of their PhD programs had figured out how to code, and they one night snuck the code into the website of amazon.com. This is back in the day when anyone could just kind of sneak in and upload the code. And overnight, all of their questions started getting automatically answered by the computer itself. Colleen fired 500 temps, went back to a small team, and found that the process helped her come to better answers, which was a better experience for everyone. Now, there's a power to the process. You know this. I don't need to sell you on this. But I think sometimes in the story, we, we can feel like the temps that are hired in our faith journey. We go through life, we've got our business to take care of, and questions hit our radar. In fact, there's too many questions, especially about God that hit my radar at different moments and I don't even know, H- how do I answer these questions? I'm, honestly, I'm, I'm not confident to do that because I don't know how to use the command line technology that's in front of me. I've got 2023 questions and 1996 technology. That's how I feel sometimes in life. I wonder if you feel sometimes in life that you've got too many questions about God that you don't even know where to start, how you would solve it. And today what I want to do is to actually just help us today discover the time-tested process for seeking to understand God. And that's all I want to do today. I want to help you understand the time-tested process for seeking to understand about God. I think that every single one of us can walk out of this room today and know how we would answer the questions that we have about God. That's a big claim, money back guarantee, all right? Uh, Here's what we have. I want you to to actually imagine the questions that you have about God as I'm talking, and I want you to start working them over. And then here's what I want to do. I want to invite you back on Wednesday night to our last midweek of this session, uh, where Brad on Wednesday told everybody that they should come today because I would be answering all of their questions. And today I'm telling you I'm going to help you have a process to answer all of your questions, and then come back on Wednesday, Brad's going to answer all of your questions. (laughs) I'll be there too, we're gonna to have a lot of fun and it's gonna be a way for us to check your work, not necessarily just give you the answers. Because how many people know this? You can get the right answer with the wrong process and it's the wrong answer. My, um, my, my daughter came back from school this week and she had a math homework assignment that she got the right answer on the paper. But when the teacher asked her to show her work, she missed a step. And the teacher counted the entire thing wrong. And my daughter, being justice-minded like her mom, she was like, this is an outrage. I deserve the points. I got it right. And she talked to her teacher. She said, why did I get this wrong? Why did you mark me off? I got the right answer. And the teacher said this. is very, very, very wise. She said, well, you got the right answer to what is a very easy question. This question you should be able to do in your head, which you did, but I need to know that you know the steps to take to help solve the question. Because if you can do the steps with an easy question, you can do the same steps with a hard question. And that's actually my goal, is to help you with the hard questions, not the easy questions. My daughter was unsatisfied. She came home and complained about this over dinner for about 30 minutes. (laughs) But it's true, and I wanna help those of you in the room who today are just like the give me the right answer, man. I don't have time to like sit down with the process. I got real problems out there in life. I just wanna know what should I believe? Like, is Jesus come back or not? Like, it'd really help me read the newspaper better if you just tell me, pastor, what to believe. And listen, I love that, you know, there are things that we can know about God, but that this is also a type of church that celebrates the fact that God meets us along the journey, not just at the destination. And our goal as a church is to help you find the joy of discovering what God is saying to you personally in your life. So if you're like a um, just give me the answers, dude, um, I've been there but I want to help you know that this is going to be better for us in the long run. This is a game that God designed for us to win. God wants to be found. God wants to be known in fact, I want to say it this way. God invites us to seek answers and find much, much more. God actually has designed this world that we can know who he is and understand what he is like. This is uh, Proverbs chapter two, verses three through five says this. Uh, this is God speaking to us. He says, tune your ears to wisdom. Concentrate with your mind on understanding. Cry out with your voice. For insight, ask for understanding. Search you know, with your eyes, as you would for silver, seek them like hidden treasures. Then you will understand. This is a promise. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord, and you will gain knowledge of God. These are huge invitations that God makes for us to seek answers and to find much, much more. It's a quest. And that's what all of our questions do. They put us on a quest for God. At the end of our quest, at the end of all of our questions, is a relationship that is deeper because we've asked the question and we found not just an answer, but we found God himself. So this proverb shows us that it's the first part of the process. I want to give this to you in a couple of steps. There's a few things that we read on our way to understanding. A few things that we read on our way to understanding. And um, if you're not a reader, I don't believe you. The first two things are not necessarily words. Here's a first step in this process. What Proverb teaches us is that we have to learn how to read my mind. Read my mind. Now, this sounds like um, a, a, a condescending statement that you would say to a toddler who's throwing a fit and you just want them to speak. How many times my kids, as they've been growing up, I've said, I can't read your mind. You have to use words, right? We say this to other people. Maybe you've had a fight with your spouse. I don't know how you guys fight in your house. Uh, I don't fight with Kristen this way, but some of you guys are really brutal about it. And you're like, I can't read your mind. Tell me, right? Like you got all these things that you just shout at each other. It's like, just, just get it out of your head and then we can talk about it. I, I actually think we're not good at reading other people's minds. I actually think we're not even good at reading our own minds. Step one of of actually learning what God is like starts right here with us deciding that I need to pay attention to the mind that I have and understand a couple of elements to all the questions that I have. Here's the first I want to give you three questions to help you read your own mind. The first is very simple What's my question? You ever try to talk out something with someone and you're like out of your depths, you don't even know how to ask the question? I um, hosted a few podcasts over the past couple of years and the worst compliment I've ever gotten in my life came when I was hosting a podcast with an 85-year-old pastor kind of a legendary guy, and I didn't know the questions I was asking him. I just didn't, I didn't know how to ask some of these questions, and so I would ramble on like six questions in one, and I remember halfway through the interview, he looked up over, over his screen, and he looked at me, and he said, Dan, you have the spiritual gift of asking many questions all at once, and I was like, shoot, I'm really bad at this, aren't I? Sometimes we just need to take a moment and get clear on what exactly is the question that I'm asking in the first place? Have you done the work in your mind to even ask, like, what what am I even asking for? What do I want knowledge about? What am I even curious about? The second question is, why is this important to me? Like, what's behind the question that I'm asking? What difference does this question make in your own life? Like, why is this an important thing? And finally, what would change In you if you were able to get an answer to your question. Sometimes we have really stupid questions, don't we? Once I heard a kid ask me this question, was the apple that Eve ate in the garden a red apple or a green apple? When God made frogs, did he mess up and then fix it mid-adolescence? You'll get there. (laughs) Like we just have some of these like really interesting for long car ride questions that have no bearing in the world. Like it doesn't change anything. You're just curious. That's great. Save those questions for when you've got nothing else to do. But if there's something loaded in your heart and in your mind about God that would change a lot for you, you owe it to yourself to ask these, these questions. You see, clear and specific questions help us get clear and specific answers. Clear and specific questions help us get clear and specific answers. This is exactly what the psalmist experienced in Psalm 34. Uh, the psalmist said this, said, I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Just from this one verse, you can kind of get a sense of what was so important to the psalmist. There was something terrifying, anxiety-inducing about them. And they brought the questions and the, the concerns to God and God met this person in the midst of prayer. And that's one of the things we do when we read our mind. Sometimes we don't even know what our mind is, and so we got to go to God in prayer and say, God, I don't even know what's got me all bothered. But I think you have a way, God, of understanding me, so would you help me sort out my own thinking so that I can know what I'm even asking you about who you are? This is a, an activity that God does when we pray. Psalm 139 is, is an example of this. It says, Search me, God, know my heart. In the New Testament, Paul writes to the the Christians living in Rome. He, He says that the Spirit of God knows us so well that even when we don't have words for the thoughts that we're feeling, the Spirit can interpret those groans that we have and make sense out of it all. When we pray, God personally meets us in our personal quest. So as I'm reading my mind, finding the clearest way possible to ask my questions, I'm, I'm letting God into my mind in prayer. I'm, I'm, I'm asking for his help. And, and, and so here's what I want to do. For my question, I had this question, just like many of you, about the return of Jesus. Is Jesus coming back? I'm just going to take that, share with you how I've wrestled with that over my life. Um, I want to walk it out together. What was my question? My question was this. Is Jesus ever, ever coming back? I was curious. I was 16 years old, and I had heard that Jesus one day was going to return to earth. And what I had heard about Jesus coming back to earth was actually not exciting to me. It was terrifying. Um, Why was this important to me? Well, this was important to me because I was, like I said, 16. And I imagined that when Jesus came back, he was going to zap all of the people who followed him out of the world and take us to heaven, and I imagine as a 16-year-old that that was a death sentence. That, like, I was going to miss out on all of these experiences that I really wanted to have in life, and I wasn't quite ready for Jesus to come back. If he'd just give me another decade or two or three, I'd really like that. Oh, stop it. You're looking at me like I'm so petty. Trying to tell me you weren't 16 years old and thought to yourself... Man, there's so much in the world I want to do. Yeah, you were there. Why was this important? Well, um, it was important to me because I just, I didn't want to die. I didn't want to believe that God was going to end my life because he decided to take a trip back to earth. And so um, what would it change? Well, it, it helped me have less anxiety about my life if I knew what God was up to. That was me. That was just reading my own mind in this question. I wanna, I wanna leave that there because the next step that we need to take in our process, the first thing we read is our own mind to actually understand what is in it for me. Why do I care about this question so much? The second thing to do is actually, is actually to move from the world of me to the world of we, the world of we, and ask the question of, well, how do we hear people today talking about the answer to this question? If I want to say it in a way where we're reading something, we're reading our minds first. And the second, we got to learn to read the room. We got to learn to read the room. Reading the room, it's an expression where, you know, you come in, someone's uh, walking into a room and it's a really somber moment, they start cracking jokes and people are just not ready for that, that type of conversation. You got to read the room, right? You got to be able to be in step with where everybody else is emotionally so that you can jump in with them. And I think often our assumptions about God come from bumper stickers and hashtags instead of from authentic knowledge about God. We, we are not good, and I've not been good in my life, at understanding how the room has impacted how I think about God. How other people's opinions, as they express them in the world today, actually infiltrates my own opinions about God. And it doesn't come from a place of deep, divine understanding. It comes from bumper stickers and from Twitter, X. I don't know what to call it. Whatever. We, we, we have pop theology, truisms that we've all agreed upon, and yet we don't know if they're actually true. Any concept of God as being a king today is muted by us living in a democratic republic. Isn't it true that all of our concepts or questions about human sexuality, they come to us today entangled in a conversation that society has had over the past hundred plus years about this? Um, Political correctness today, cancel culture, now this new virtue of politically incorrectness all of it plant their seeds in the garden of our minds. And before we know it, we can't tell what are the seeds that God's planted and the seeds that the culture has planted in us. And everything's being mixed together and we're left to go, I think all of this is good. Listen, any honest person must recognize that there's a fair amount of the zeitgeist making its way into our thinking about God and not enough of our thinking about God making its way into our current zeitgeist. Go back, watch that clip, think about it, and then say, yeah, Dan, that's true. So what did Jesus do? Um, That's a great question to help us read the room. But Jesus did this. He actually read the room. It's in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 16. Jesus once uh, came to the region of Caesarea uh, Philippi and he asked his disciples, he read the room. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And isn't this a great is God question? Like, like Jesus is like, hey, God said he was going to send his son. Who do people say that he is? And what I love about this is that Jesus takes a moment to actually like take the temperature of what's out there in the world. He's like reading his own Google reviews and trying to get a, get a sense of what are people saying in the comment section. And not only does Jesus ask this, but his disciples have an answer. They come preloaded. Why? Because they also are spending their time looking around, wondering what people are saying. They're curious, they're invested, they're a part of the same culture that Jesus is. And, and, And they say, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. This feels like all the candidates running for Republican nominee next year. They're like, well, there's all these options. I don't know, like it could be any of them. It's really interesting to me that they they actually have thought about this. And um, I think for us, one of the lessons in this process is that it's good for us to have our ear to the ground of how we're being influenced by the opinions of other people, specifically around things of God. I I really don't care the breakdown of the Miami 4-3 defense. We could nerd out on that all day long if you bring that up in conversation, I'm tuning out. But you bring up some sort of idea you have about God. Even if I don't respond to you, I'm listening because I'm curious, what are we thinking about as a society? Because the room influences the answers to my questions. And this is what happens. Jesus says um, to Peter, well, okay, that's what the room says, what do you think? What do you think? And here's what Peter says. He says, "You, Jesus, are the Messiah, the Son of the Living God." And Jesus replied, "You're blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being." Right answer, Peter. Even though the wider world is missing the point, and you see what, what we learned from Jesus is that a lot of The pop ideas about God and the world are just simply speculation. But there are specifics that we can hang our hat on. Jesus says this don't settle for speculation when God has been specific. One of the ways that we get to specificity is by listening to the speculation all around us. Is Jesus the Son of God? Well, he specifically says so. Paul, in Acts 17, does the same thing with the philosophers of the day. They got all their altars to unknown gods and their gods, and there's one that, that catches Paul's eye, the one that maybe they missed. And Paul walks into their pantheon, and he says, let me read the room for a moment. There's a, there's a God here that you don't know who he is. Let me tell you all about him, because his name is Jesus And the point of of Paul being able to read the room is that that day people actually had their lives changed because Paul was willing to give an answer that was specific and true. So Dan, how, how did you do this when you were wrestling through, is Jesus coming back? How did you read the room in this question you had about is Jesus returning? Well, I was 16 at the time. The World Trade Center's had just fallen, 9-11 had just happened. We were invading Iraq. A lot in the world was anxious, you remember this, You used to be able to walk right up to the airport gate and then all of a sudden airports shut down and closed up. And a kid who grew up a mile from O'Hare Airport was freaked out because everything was changing. Everything was, was new and it just felt, it felt like the world that I had lived in was gonna have a very clear before event and after event. And it's proved to be true. Life before 9-11 was very different than life after. And in the midst of the upheaval and the turmoil and the curiosity and the questioning, in my family, there were these books that were being read. I don't hate these books if you take them for what they are. But there were these books that, that were designed to flesh out the idea of what it would be like for, for Jesus to come back. And let me just tell you something. I, part of my expression, if you got young kids, close your ears, but they scared the hell out of everybody. You know what I mean by that? Like I don't mean that pejoratively. I mean like they literally freaked us all out. They were designed to like help us lean into the goodness of God. And what they ended up doing was giving kids nightmares, myself included. The room was obsessed with us being able to know exactly who was going to trigger the events that would bring Jesus back. And I got to tell you, I was terrified. It was scary, but it was the influences that brought this to light for me. I don't know, what is your question that you're wrestling through right now? Is God good? Is God active? Is God living? What have you heard other people tell you about it and what would that influence in your thinking? So how do we move past your mind and then the room? Well, obviously the third thing is this. I want you to know this. At some point, you have to crack the book. you got to read the book. This feels like a good moment to just take a pause in the message and just have you look at the person next to you and say, dude, you got to crack open the book. Go ahead, just for a second, just wake him up, just kind of nudge him. you got to crack open the book. I know, this feels like, oh, I'm coming to church and I'm going to get a homework assignment. No, you got to read, read the book. Peter, who is the guy that got the answer right, the guy that got the answer right, he once wrote this to uh, first-generation followers of Jesus in his second letter to, to, to these people. He says this, that by God's divine power, he has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Like, we are equipped and we're resourced. We have what we need. We've received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself, by means of his marvelous glory and his excellence, Another uh, follower of Jesus in the first century was a guy named Paul. He was also an eyewitness to Jesus a, a, a first. He had experience with Jesus. He says this, he says to a younger guy, he says, all scripture is breathed, inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true and to make us, uh, to, to what is true. I'm sorry, I've learned this in a different language. <laughs> all scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. This is a special book. I feel like I want to just say that one more time. This is a special book. But it doesn't take special powers to understand it. And that's really good news. Some of uh, the manuals that you use at your jobs, I can't read. But all of us have access to understanding what God has said through this book. If we know what this book is. I don't wanna take a long time, there are literally millions of books written about what this book is. But if I could just summarize it in one paragraph, the best way to understand the Bible is that it is a library. It is a collection of ancient writings that make up, are made up of history and wisdom and poetry and prophecy and reports about Jesus's life and letters that were written to ancient people with real lives and real questions. These were letters and, and history and poetry that were intended to stir our hearts towards knowing God. The writing of scriptures were intended to move the people that they were written to And so listen, the Bible was not necessarily written to people living in Johnson County, Kansas. Actually, I would think that not one of the writers of the Bible had us in mind at all, nor did they conceive of our continent when this was written down. And yet, because of what is said in Hebrews chapter 4, it's true that the Bible is living and active. It means that even us who come to the Bible today will experience something mystical and magical when we open its pages and let God speak to us. Even if you don't know everything there is to know about the world of the Bible or the people that this was written to, enough has been preserved about Jesus to help us live godly lives and actually experience the joy of Jesus. So we can know who God is by opening the Bible. How would you open the Bible and actually use this though? Some people try this. I've got a question, God, are you good? And they just open it up and they point their finger down. And Elisha went from there and was found. Elisha, the son of Shaphat, Shaphat, Shaphat. This is why people hate the Bible he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and this has nothing to say for my life. Well, it's it's when we come to the Bible, I don't want you to give up. Here's how I want you to do this. There's three just action points for us. Read it thoroughly. Go through starting points to finish points. Don't read it perfectly Genesis to Revelation, you will torture yourself. But read it thoroughly. Follow a plan systematically. Um, One of the plans that I use and I have used for many years now is that I start in the Old Testament and the New Testament at the same time. I start in Genesis and I start in Matthew. And every day I just read a chapter of each. And if you do that, you'll get through the whole entire Old Testament in one year and you'll get through the whole entire New Testament in six months. And I just keep repeating that cycle over and over again. Some really spiritual people add one chapter of Psalms in there a day some extra spiritual people read one chapter of Proverbs on top of it. I'm not here to prescribe you how much you need to read, but have a plan, work through it. The only way for us to grow is to actually incrementally progress. And so read thoroughly, read systematically, and then read repeatedly. Once you get to the end, do it again. If you do this, over the course of two years, you will be absolutely floored with how much you sound like a pastor. People will be talking to you and you would be like, man, that reminds me of this one thing that I heard over here when Jesus said this. And you'll, you'll have this experience. You'll go, how did I know that? And the same speed with which you can quote the office, you will quote <laughs> the Bible. It's absolutely ridiculous. But we, ha- we have to not give up in the midst of this. We have to learn over time as we read through then, was the author of this book actually saying. You know, there's four people who wrote the gospel accounts. These are the lives of Jesus. Gospel is good news. The good news about Jesus. Four of them. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you were raised Catholic, those are your brothers, right? And so, um, that's a bad joke. Sorry. I got a really good laugh last time I used it, and it didn't, I'm going to scratch that one. But if you read long enough, you can distinguish the voice of Matthew from Mark. Mark has no time. Mark is like, I just got to get this down. I got to get this out. Here's what it goes. Here's happens. He went here, 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 here. Jesus did this, this, this. And immediately, immediately, immediately. That's, that's Mark. Mark is really interested in you knowing the pa- action of Jesus. Matthew wants you to know the history of Jesus. Luke is a historian, but he's interested in helping people who feel on the outside actually understand that Jesus is for them too. And John is this totally other guy. He's like this... Um, he's the, he's called the one whom Jesus loves in his own writing. That is arrogant, if you're asking me. But he's so loved by Jesus. And so he's got this relationship with Jesus that's so different and so insightful and so, so unique that he includes stuff that's totally different than the rest of them. You read the Bible just repetitively, you will learn the voices of each one of these authors. And that's really important for us because the voice of the author is something that God used to help us understand who he is today. We need to not just know the voice of the author, we need to know their intent. Understand why did they write to these people? We learn to ask, what was the author trying to tell this group of people, what did it mean to them? And that's really important because the Bible does not mean today what it did not mean back then. When Jesus said his famous phrase, you are a city on a hill. He was not talking about Washington, D.C. We have to ask ourselves, what did Jesus mean back then with this? And then what could it mean for us today? We have to understand what, was, what did this mean? And I believe that 95% of the Bible was instantly recognizable as what it meant to the people who it was first written to. Through 2,000 years, we have a little bit of work to do to understand it. So here's what I wanna say. It's not wrong to jump onto Google and to ask what the Bible says about X topic or Y topic. That is not, I I do not wanna discourage you from jumping on and asking questions about God. But just please, for the love of your soul, would you please follow that up with an email to me or to one of our pastors, or to a pastor that you personally know who is invested in your life. Lest you become guilty and a victim of theological WebMD syndrome. (laughs) Do you know what I'm talking about? You ever have like a symptom and you Google it and then you're dying? (laughs) I was training for the half marathon and I had some knee pain and I went on runner's blogs and stuff and I was ready to, to have surgery. And then I talked to my friends who were here running, and they actually run, and they were like, dude, you just need to stretch. True story. And I, I, I would love for us to be the type of people who are curious enough to find answers, even if it means going online and trying to find what's been written. But, but y'all, the first page of Google for religious things is kind of roulette for us. And not everything that you find on the first page of Google is gonna be helpful for you actually getting a discerning answer that is true to this. Just for kicks to see if, because I know some of you do this, but I tried yesterday with AI to produce this message. And it got it 75% right. I cried myself to sleep, because this took me like 75 hours to think up. In six seconds, it was done. But the 25% that it got wrong made my pastoral soul shrivel up and cry. And how damaging it would be for us to not be able to discern what does this actually mean for us and why does it mean that? Which gets us, which gets us to, the, to the third question or the fourth, the fourth uh, last point, the last step. We're gonna read our minds. We're gonna read the room. We're gonna read the book. And then what do we do when we see what God says about the question that we have? We're gonna do this. We're going to share our experience. This process is not over until you've talked about it with someone else who is also a person of faith. And this is critical for us because this is a way for us not just to, 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 to be excited about what we're learning, but also to check ourselves and to hear. I once had a professor in uh, my seminary who said, theology is a team sport, Which means if you just are God and me in your own spiritual life and you got a journal, that's great. But do you ever ask people about what you're learning about God? Because you might find out that you're more on target than you realized you were. And you might find out that you're more crazy than you actually are. (laughs) Share your experience. It's a way for us to be able to share with other people, here's what God is doing in me. But... The reality is we don't just share our experience. There's one step further I want you to go. You know, you get to go on online and leave a Yelp review for God to say, "Hey, I had this question, and God met me in this. I sought the Lord and he heard my cry and he answered me," like the psalmist said. But not only does he answer us. God has a way when we ask questions of changing us. Not only do we get to, you know, write a review We get to become the review. You and I get to become the answer to the question itself. When when we run this process, God doesn't just inform us about what's true. He transforms us by revealing himself to us. The end goal, and this is great, because the end goal of our questions are not just knowledge. Nobody cares about what we know. The end goal of our questions, the quest in our questions is for us to put truth in action. Faith is not just a lesson that we comprehend or a sermon that you hear. Faith is a trail that you walk to see a beautiful view. It's one in your life that you walk with God through the valleys, the shadows, and up the mountainsides as well. I don't think faith is even a road. It's, a, it's, like a, it's like a path. It's like a path where the signposts have been so weathered by the storms of life. They've been up for so long, you can barely make out what they say. And only people who have traveled down that path, can bring people back to see what they've seen. I think that's what Jesus meant when he said this phrase. He said, he said small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. And, and maybe you're the type of person who, who has a question about this, like why would God be so exclusive? I don't think Jesus is saying that he's keeping people out of heaven. I think what Jesus is acknowledging here is that only a few find it, because only a few ask to find it. Only those who have questions will ever take the journey to find the answers that lead them on this destination of knowing God better. So here's the the beautiful part of this. If you're one of the question askers among us, if, if you're a part of this community and you've got more questions about God than you have answers, I wanna let you know something. The more that I've studied God, the more questions I have now than answers to. Two degrees, thousands of dollars into education. I have more questions about God today than I do answers. And that's because God is an ocean. And you and I are like little kids who can play in the waves. And if we ever were to keep moving out into the ocean, we'd find that it is so deep in ways that depth was never conceivable to us. And yet it is so shallow that we can swim in it. If we're honest with ourselves and the world around us, then we're going to dig into what God says, who he is, and it's going to change how we show up in the world. And our lives are going to become an answer to that question. Let me finish off my process with this question, is God coming back? When I finally did steps three and four, I finally dug into what God's word said about the return of Jesus. Here's what I learned. I learned that Jesus promised that he will come again. It's literally the last thing that Jesus says in the entire book. Had to read to the last page to get an answer to that question. I learned that the book that it's written in, it's a book called Revelation, is a specific type of writing It's written by the same guy, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's written by this guy, the guy that Jesus loved the most, who wanted us to believe and have life. But the type of writing that John was doing wasn't the same type of writing that we were literally supposed to understand. When he talks about Jesus, that was literal. But this apocalyptic revelation is not something that was supposed to be read literally or literalistically. In fact, Revelation was both poetic, apocalyptic, and figurative. And I learned that there was a lot more to this question than I first imagined. But most importantly, I learned that whenever Jesus talked about whether he was coming back or not, he always did so with a little bit of a wink in his eye. He did so amongst the closest people to him. Matthew chapter 24, 25, Jesus is sitting down with three of his closest disciples and he tells them all of this stuff about what the end of time will be like. And part of why I think Jesus does that is because he didn't want to freak out the masses and induce hysteria. He intended to help his closest followers to him understand and be comforted by what he was going to be doing. Jesus was always trying to comfort his followers with these words. And that alone was really great for me because all the conversations and thoughts that I had had about Jesus coming back were terrifying. More importantly than all of this, I found out in the midst of this all that God had a plan for the earth. That he's so committed to his creation that his plan is actually the renewal of all things, not the destruction of all things. And so what I learned is that when Jesus returns, he's gonna be bringing heaven down with him. He's he's actually gonna be making earth right the way it was supposed to be. And for me, I was so glad to find out that this was not something that I needed to lose sleep over. In fact, I just needed to simply follow him without fear. And while I was waiting for him to come back and watching for signs where he would be coming back, the one thing that Jesus wanted me to be doing in the midst of it was simply working for him. And in that is some sort of way where Jesus has already returned to this earth. Because we are the ones who work on his behalf today. We are the ones who actually get busy bringing the message of Jesus to this world and the hope of Jesus to this world. If his followers would do a little bit more to do that, I wonder if he would even need to come at all. But now I'm getting into the world of more questions and speculation. And this is where a dialogue takes place, where you have an opportunity to ask and answer and respond. And we circle this process over and over and over again. This is what we as the people of Jesus have been doing for thousands of years. And as we've done this, we have learned who God is in a close, unique, personal way way. So what do you do? What do you do? Well, you ask your questions. Bring your questions here. Ask them. Ask all of them. Ask them of us. Ask them of God. Ask them of one another. And when you find something on the other side of the question, I hope that you don't just yield to the room's answer, but you would yield to God's answer. It possibly will change the world, but it certainly will change you. And we can all agree that we're better off for it that way. That is a process with power that helps us get to the bottom of our questions.